Hello, and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand here with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. (laughs) (laughs) What you got for (laughs) chit-chat? Well, I I have a little funny story. It's actually a a two-part story. Um, So the other day, I was dropping our daughter off at school, and, uh, and she has a Gumby. And, and most people, well, I don't know if people know what Gumby is. Um, Gumby's a little green, flexible guy that I guess used to be popular in the 70s or 80s. Anyway, she got a Gumby. She has no idea who Gumby is, but she likes playing with him. So he was in the car. And as she's getting out of the car, she's telling him goodbye. You know, Have a good day. I'll come back for you. And she looks at me and she says, are you going to take Gumby to work? And so, so I said, sure. <laughs> and so thus began the day-long adventure of Gumby at my at my work. Uh, so I tweeted about this. Some of you may have seen. I, I did a photo documentary of all the stuff that Gumby did uh, following along at work with me, uh, which, of course, was very helpful for my own productivity, uh, spending time <laughs> posing him with the uh, muffins at lab meeting, and he got tangled up in some tape on the you know on the desk and everything so so that was very fun and then i told this story in class and after class one of my uh, tas came up and said i saw you walking between two meetings and i noticed you had like gumby sticking out of your backpack and i was very confused about this and then she understood when she heard the story so it was like a whole you know (laughs) it came full circle and people understood why I had Gumby with me. Anyway, it was Gumby's, fun. It amused Gumby's me. Gumby's big day out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although, it, well, anyway, this is, I shouldn't complain about this. I don't understand how threads work on Twitter. Because in the <laughs> old days, you would just reply to something and it would like figure out what went together. And now you can like either reply or add another tweet. And then, mm. so some of the Gumby pictures show up together and some of them don't because some were from my phone and then some days they all show up and some days they don't. So anyway, there's a lot of good ones. It goes to the end of the day. If you don't see the end of the day, you know, you're not seeing all of them. (laughs) This is what people listen for, right, Julia? (laughs) This is come for the Gumbies, stay for the imposter syndrome. Right. Oh, that was a very smooth transition. So why? Thank you. So today, we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, but are we um, worthy to talk about it? I don't feel qualified to. <laughs> I do. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, so why don't, why don't you start and remind everyone right. what it is, and then we can go from there. Sure. Okay, so uh, uh, imposter syndrome, uh, Wikipedia defines as a psychological pattern in which one doubts one's accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. So this is not like a clinical disorder, uh, despite the name syndrome. Um, in fact, it is that that niggling doubt that we all have about, am I worthy to be here? Is everyone going to figure out that I'm actually not smart enough or uh, uh, my ideas aren't innovative enough? Am I going to be found out, exposed as a fraud? Then everyone will know how inadequate I am. 
Um, and the term apparently came from uh, an article in the late 70s. Um, originally, people looked at uh, imposter syndrome in in women, especially in women who were like uh, uh, had positions of power in business. But since then, it has uh, been been studied in uh, all genders, lots of populations, lots of different lots of different sectors. Um, and we wanted to talk about it today because it's one of those things that people occasionally talk about. Uh, but but I feel like one of the one of the best antidotes to imposter syndrome. We'll talk more about this um, later on. Is just knowing about it and hearing other people talk about their own experiences with mm-hmm. it. Do you feel like? Um, mm-hmm. can, sorry to interrupt, but do you feel like you're more aware of this now than you were as a graduate student? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I didn't I hear mean, anything about this. I feel like, well, I, I don't, well, we should also say, um, well, here's a question. Oh, anyway, <laughs> we'll cut all this out. Probably not. <laughs> I probably won't have time to. Well, here, I was going to say <laughs> that um, uh, I'm wondering if there are uh, sex or gender differences in imposter syndrome. And I wonder also as a, as a man, if I came across this less in that, mm. That sounds like it's not something I've struggled with, which is not true. And I'll tell you my own stories, but I just wonder if um, my awareness of it has increased maybe differently than some other people. Yeah. So the, the 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 reading that I've done about imposter syndrome makes it seem like this is quite common across uh, for, for across sexes, um, but but that the consequences of it can be particularly detrimental for women and people of color who mm-hmm. are going to have other uh, uh, kind of obstacles um, or cultural issues that they're going to have to deal with mm-hmm. in addition. Mm-hmm. Um, before before we dive into like our own experiences with it and, and so forth, though, I want to um, I want to just raise two like two big objections that i have to to the name of imposter syndrome and and what it represents um because there there are uh there are things there are things that that come kind of packaged in with talking about something as a syndrome that i think are unfounded so 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 one objection that i have is that it seems very silly to call something a syndrome when it is in fact something that everyone or nearly everyone experiences at some point in their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, so most humans tend to get tired at night, but we don't call it like nighttime sleepiness syndrome. Right. We say like, <laughs> right. yeah, that's a thing that happens to humans at night. Right. Um, All and, these and babies say, have crawling syndrome. I, I know. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and another thing that happens to people is, especially when they're in like novel situations where there's a lot of competition, that they haven't been explicitly trained for uh, is that they have doubts about their abilities. This is like a thing that happens to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's one objection is that it's not a syndrome. It's, it's a thing that happens to most people. Um, the other reason that I, that I object to kind of framing it as imposter syndrome um, is that it puts like the, the, the blame or the responsibility for the situation on the individual and, and not on the culture that the individual is in. Um, and I've heard this argument made specifically about like women in tech, that if you phrase it as, oh, you're feeling uncertain because you have imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. then you don't have to deal with the issue of you are working in a culture that is not supportive of you and is not showing you and demonstrating to you all the things that you're good at, right? Mm-hmm. Or like not reinforcing your talents. Um, and if you think about like your relationship with your work or your, uh, you know, your institution, like as a relationship, if you're in a relationship where your partner doesn't make you feel worthy or valued, 
we wouldn't say you have a syndrome, right? We'd say right. like, well, let's, you know, look at what we can do in the institution to make you feel valued. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so the other concern is that uh, if we talk too much about imposter syndrome, it may make us talk less about cultural changes that we could make that would help everyone feel more valued. Mm-hmm. I like both of those points. I think we should, um, we should come up with a contest and have a better name for it. <laughs> <laughs> I would be delighted to hear your ideas, listeners. Also, it's kind of, well, we'll get into this, but it's also a little bit, as you just, as what you said, it's kind of like realizing you're not perfect, right? Mm. Which is, seems different than being an imposter. Like, I don't know, it it always seemed a little bit harsh to me. But anyway, we'll, maybe we'll get more into that as we, as we go. Mm -hmm. So, Jonathan... When have you uh when have you felt imposter syndrome uh as a as a placeholder name till we come up with a better name yeah. <laughs> uh in your life Uh th- I'll tell you that the time I was most aware of it um uh in graduate school I was, I so I started thinking about this as graduate school but of course you know it it continues in different ways um and I guess broadly it's mostly it, before I've gotten expertise in an area uh and I'm aware of that, right? So like, they're the things we don't know and don't know that we don't know them. What was the <laughs> Rumsfeld quote? There are the known unknowns and the unknown mm-hmm. unknowns. So like, mm-hmm. there's lots of stuff I don't know, but I'm not really thinking about it. But when I really know that I don't something, I, when I really know I don't know something and I have to talk about it, then it kicks in. And so that that's changed over the years. I clearly remember, uh, so Hello? the end of my PhD... I had started. Sorry, you just cut off. Oh. oh, are you there? Am I back? Oh, sorry. Yeah, you are. Hi. Hi. You cut out for a bit. Welcome back. Hi. Hello, caller. <laughs> <Welcome. laughs> so uh, my PhD was in neuroscience, but most of my research was behavioral cognitive psychology. But towards the end of my PhD, I started to dabble in brain imaging. Uh, and I really... I didn't know how to analyze the data myself. I was working with another lab. And so I was, um, you know, I'd get these brain pictures with a bright spot on it and I would try (laughs) to talk about it, but I really, I didn't know where that came from and I didn't know like brain anatomy. So um, I, I really would just trust what people would tell me. Right. So it really felt a little bit like, like talking about my research at that point, felt a little bit like if someone gave you some slides or, you know, for a talk, like PowerPoint slides, and was like, here, give this talk. You put the slide up and you kind of like read the thing, but you don't really know where it came from. Mm -hmm. Um, And to like exacerbate this, I was, you know, we would have graduate student talks. So these were the Friday pizza talks. All the graduate students would rotate through and give a 20-minute talk on their research. And it was like the whole neuroscience department, including lots of faculty. So it was a pretty big room. I mean, it was at least 50 people. I feel like it was more like 100, but I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm misremembering. So they're all sitting there. Most of them do, like, hardcore neuroscience. Like, they're sticking electrodes into cells and animals and recording. And here I am showing my little bit of neuroscience, which is this blob on the brain, and saying, oh, it's the inferior frontal gyrus, which meant nothing to me at the time. Uh, but I also, so I, so I remember standing up there and just thinking, like, in my head, it's like, I have no idea what I'm talking about, and I hope no one asks me any questions. Please don't ask, please don't ask. Please. And luckily, I didn't get a lot of questions, 
that I remember. And also, luckily, I mean, I, I anyway, I just had to fake it, right? So I would either say I don't know, or I would, you know, repeat what I had already said and didn't understand. Um, in that particular, so one reason I like this story, uh, it was very stressful at the time, but that's a domain where I then acquired expertise. And now I'm very comfortable talking about imaging data. I do not feel like a fraud uh, because I've gotten the expertise. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel like there is, there's like, and maybe that's not really helpful. There's at least kind of two parts of this. There's like stuff that someone could know, but you don't happen to know yet. And you have to talk about it because that's what you're working on. So that was my example. Mm-hmm. But I also think there are times when it's not really about your own ability or knowledge. It's really just like, regardless of how uh, knowledgeable you are or how mm-hmm. good you are, you still are going to feel like you're you're a fraud. And I think right. that's harder a little bit, right? Yeah. So maybe it's good to kind of recognize, is this a thing I'm going to learn and I'm just new at it? Or am I really fine, but like, I don't feel fine, fine about it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, one of the, one of the like hallmarks of imposter syndrome is, uh, is not saying this is a thing I don't know, but that's okay. Cause I'm a smart, capable person and I can learn it. Right. It, it's not that it's saying like, despite all of my accomplishments, I'm not good enough and, and, and I'm going to be found out at right. some point. Right. Um, cause I, I think there's a real place for humility too, mm-hmm. right? Like none of us know everything. None of us are good at everything. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't want to like encourage people to say, no, you are great at everything you try right. no matter what, because that's not the case. There's plenty of stuff I'm, I'm bad at, um, as for, it's the case for everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it seems like imposter syndrome is the like more, uh, uh um, the more dangerous sense that like, no matter what you have accomplished. Right. You're not good enough. And yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, a, a lot of what you said resonated. I've, I've also had experiences like that where I remember like the first time I stepped in front of a, a class to teach intro psych and I was like, please do not let them ask any questions because I literally know nothing other than what is on these slides. <laughs> and if they ask me anything, I'm going to mm-hmm. be, you know, found out to have just done this reading the night before and not know any of this. Um, wait, professors do that. Yeah. Well, you know, boy, like, especially my first term, Mm -hmm. you know, like the Mm -hmm. first term being the instructor of record. Yeah. Um, uh, but then also like, you know, it would happen that I would get a question and I would be like, oh, wow, I got super lucky. That is the one thing that I happen to know the answer to. Mm -hmm. And then I get another question. I'd be like, wow, what are the odds? I happen to know the answer to that too. And, you know, I feel like having those experiences of being like, wait a minute, hold on. I'm not actually faking this. I do actually know a little bit or like have at least an informed opinion about this um, can be can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also had situations where I felt imposter syndrome and I did not have that like nice reassurance that, oh, I happen to know the answer to this question. Um, so like when I uh, when I started college, um, I came in with uh, compared to my peers, I think pretty, pretty weak background. Um, I went to a rural public school um, that had very limited options for like AP classes or, you know, anything like that. Um, And so when I started at Tufts with a bunch of kids who had, you know, many of whom had been to like really good private schools and lots of, uh, uh, you know, SAT prep and AP courses and things like that, um, I felt wildly out of my league. I felt totally like outclassed. Um, and, 
and assumed that, you know, I had like gotten lucky. I had, you know, been selected because they needed someone rural from Minnesota or something. Uh-huh. Right. I was like, <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and that was like, that was much harder than the kind of start of teaching for me because that was, you know, the first time I was like intellectually out on my own and I, just assumed that my inability to, for instance, you know, pass intro bio first term of first year um, was a was strong evidence that like I was not elite private college material, mm-hmm. right? And did not belong. And I had to just keep fumbling along and faking it and hoping that no one would, you know, figure me out. Um, and that's, you know, that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then another, another situation where like, I really, um, sorry, can I just go back? So how did that story end? So like, yeah, by the end of your time there, did you still feel that way that like you somehow made it through? Yeah. I mean, I, um, yeah, I, I, and, and to some extent, like there was an element of truth in that I was much less prepared than my peers. Right. So like Mm -hmm. when I was looking around and being like, I feel like I'm not good enough. um, The element of like, you don't have the background was true. Uh, And I I felt like, you know, probably by the end of college, I was maybe starting to realize that um, that that isn't about like me as a human, but about like the preparation that I had had. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's, you know, when I'm now talking to, to my own undergrads who are like dealing with imposter syndrome, that's one of the things that I really try to reinforce is that like there can be truth to the fact that other people have more experience with this than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that doesn't mean that you are a fraud or a failure. That just means that, you know, there, there, uh, you may have different paths to like mastering or, or getting more successful at this particular topic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to be honest, I don't, I don't remember when in college that kind of if that changed or, or how that changed. Um, I feel like for me, it's kind of been this, this like slow burn, (laughs) uh, slow unburn, slow thought, I don't know, of like, Mm -hmm. you know, it getting better, um, that I think is really benefited by like going through the cycles that are a natural part of academia where Mm -hmm. like first you're the new kid and then you stick around for a few years and you're a senior and then that cycle is over and then you start grad school at first you're new and then you're, you know, mm-hmm. and then you finish and then you start the postdoc and you don't know what you're doing. And then, you know, and like going through all of those different cycles where you start off feeling like, you know, nothing, you end up feeling like, you know, a lot more, um, that, that kind of going through those cycles was what helped give me confidence that maybe I was actually going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but also when I when I started my my postdoc, so my my PhD is in um, uh, was in like a like a cognitive psychology lab. Um, when I started my postdoc, it was in biomedical engineering, is the laboratory of sensory neuroscience and neuroengineering. Um, and when I started that, I had like certainly never taken any kind of engineering. I like definitely Googled biomedical engineering to figure out like what that was about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had had like two neuroscience classes, but, but it, it was this, it was this really remarkable situation where the, the, the PI of the lab, um, and I had some similar interests, but he's coming at it from like 
biomedical engineering background, and I'm coming at it as a cognitive psychologist. And so the topic that we were interested in, we both knew a lot about, but I knew like nothing about what it was like to walk in his world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I when I joined that lab, like I I I was an imposter, right? I had no business being in a biomedical engineering lab given that I knew nothing about biomedical engineering. And and I felt that quite profoundly when, you know, the software they used was different, the way that they talked was different than I was used to. Um, but but it actually, it ended up being just a wonderful experience for me because I had this great postdoc mentor who was very supportive and like making it clear that I had a lot to contribute despite the fact that I didn't know anything about what everybody else knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I knew that, and I knew that I like, you know, shouldn't feel bad about that because that wasn't why I was being brought in. Um, and so it was a nice situation to, to have, to know simultaneously that I didn't know anything about what other people were doing and I deserved to be there mm-hmm. despite that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was really the experience that kind of helped me uncouple Am I good enough and smart enough from do I know everything about what's you know happening around me right now? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it happened in college, but certainly in in my postdoc was when uh when that really kind of started to happen. Yeah. So something you said that really resonated was um at least in in our careers, we have lots of opportunities to not know anything and then come through that until we know something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so certainly typically, uh, as a as a first year graduate student, you're starting a new topic or at least a new area of it, and by the time you're done, hopefully, you don't feel brand new. Um, often, as a postdoc, you do that. I did four postdocs, um, depending on how you count, and each time I kind of felt like I, I was adding a new area, and I was I, I don't think I felt like an imposter, but I felt very dumb. Uh, <laughs> I just by being new, and just, it was really frustrating. I remember, you know. Really, it took at least a year every time I switched a job to kind of feel like I, I, I wasn't dumb. Um, but I, having come through that, I started to trust myself a little bit that I would get to the point where I felt like I knew something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is useful if you have that. If you do have that experience, I think sometimes we try we pick topics or we pick areas that just aren't a good fit, and maybe we don't get any mastery and maybe it's time, you know, you can change your focus or whatever. So I think not having the experience of kind of getting through that can be really frustrating, but Mm -hmm. I I guess I was fortunate that I felt like I was able to work through it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the, one of the things that's helped me, um, but I think, but I think it's challenging because I don't know, I don't know how I came to the point where I could kind of benefit from it. Um, but sort of like, how much do you rely on external feedback? Um, and, and in particular, like, well, like external uh, validation, right? So <laughs> I might think, I, I can't write at all. I'm never going to publish a, a manuscript. And then I get a paper accepted. And so you can kind of go one of two ways. You can say, oh, I, I, have, I have now published a thing. I'm going to update my beliefs to think maybe I can do it. Right. Or you can you can kind of go the other route and say, well, I I was lucky. I really I'm still really bad at this. Right. And so Mm -hmm. um, you had a great can you you had a great quote from Maya Angelou, uh, the famous author. Can you tell me about that? 
Yeah, yeah. So when I was when I was you know googling ab- about imposter syndrome and what other people have said about it, um, uh, Maya Angelou said, "I've written eleven books, but each time I think, uh oh, they're going to find me out now. I've run a game on everyone, and they're going to find me out." Um, <laughs> right. And I and I love that because I was like, oh, if Maya Angelou wonders if she's good enough, right? After eleven books, right? Right, like after the first one, you're like, well, maybe I don't have a second book. Right, right? Yeah, and then, maybe, oh, maybe the third one isn't gonna. Yep. But after eleven, it's like no, I think you got it. Right. So, mm-hmm. so what? What? So I don't think there's a magic switch. I think it would probably be not helpful advice to say if you feel like an imposter, just trust. Would you know? Stop feeling like an imposter, right? Like just try. <laughs> try. That's not the the whole point. Is that you're sort of great not... talking. See you next time, <laughs> yeah, listeners. We're done. Um, uh, so I, I don't think that's helpful. But on yeah. the other hand, like, what is it that helps um, that can maybe help us to sort of like, anyway, let me step back. Is it a helpful, is it a helpful strategy to try to rely on some of those facts and kind of force yourself to, to take that in? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a there's a kind of callback here to our our episode about reframing too, mm-hmm. right? That like when when things go right, when you get an article published, there are two stories you can tell. One is, uh, I must be good at my job. I'm a brilliant genius who produced an excellent piece of scholarship. Or, uh, boy, I got lucky. I really like snuck in, you know, mm-hmm. just barely got in. Mm-hmm. Um, and and frankly, certainly. Both of those are true to extent, to an mm-hmm. extent every time, mm-hmm. right? Like if it was total trash, it probably wouldn't have gotten accepted. And also publishing is a crapshoot and, right. you know, there's mm-hmm. probably some element of luck too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can choose to, you know, emphasize or focus on one of those, one of those stories yeah. over, over the other. So at, just to butt in here, um, that was episode four. And if people want to see our old episodes, they can find them on the website, which is where, Julia? Juiceandsqueeze.net. Slash four. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes, which are at juiceandsqueeze.net slash 13. We're on episode 13. Lucky us. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Um, So, so, So I think, like, you know, thinking about the stories that you tell yourself, when you're attributing your success to things is, you know, is, is, is one thing. Um, it's, that's one thing. Um, I, I think another thing that can be helpful is that knowing that this is not a syndrome, this is a normal human thing that everybody has, mm-hmm. right? Even Michelle Obama has talked about her own imposter syndrome. Michelle Obama. Um, so, so, you know, if, if everyone has it, then that should at least tell all of us that those feelings are are not necessarily a good indicator of truth. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I just to throw in one other curveball, I think some people have it more than others. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, the people who don't have it very much throw off the expectations for everyone else. So I think there mm. are people who, um, I guess, well, there are some people who are just kind of um, really arrogant and oblivious and mm-hmm. think that they're amazing in everything. Uh, and anyway, they're in every field, including our field. Um, but people who at least externally don't seem to have any awareness of anything they don't know, regardless of how little they know, mm-hmm. um, 
I think it kind of sets the bar that like, it's not okay to say you don't know something. You have to know everything. <laughs> you have to be perfect. And these people apparently are, regardless of what they think in their own mind. Um, so I think that can kind of throw off the calibration. That I think, oh, um, all these other people in my department are amazing and clearly don't worry about this. And so it, it must just be me or me and me and Julia and Jonathan, and that's it. And it's not mm-hmm. everyone. I think in reality, it is most people deal with this on some level. But then also, I could imagine at least one person listening um, is like, oh, I have this way worse than you guys or than, than you guys are sharing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't apply to me. And it, so, but there are lots of people who have this experience. So I think mm-hmm. um, it's just hard to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there's also something to be said then for like, for one of the other things that we need to, to, to do to help deal with this is to update our like super unrealistic ideas about what it means to be successful. Right. Right. That Mm -hmm. like, if you have this idea that successful people know everything are totally confident 100% of the time, uh, and you find yourself not doing that, then you interpret that as being like not successful. Mm -hmm. Um, when in fact, like nobody is good at everything. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows everything. Uh, some people are more willing to say that some people, uh, uh, like understand that, like have internalized that more. Um, but, but like nobody knows everything. Mm -hmm. Fight me. Like, I'm, you know, like (laughs) I will, I, I I really, I really stand by that. You have a sword. (laughs) (laughs) Fight me at your own risk, especially if you're a bottle of champagne. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and the other funny, it also is funny, obviously I've heard, um, I've heard about this mostly in the context of academia and not other places, but obviously people deal with this in all sorts of contexts. But in what we do, as you pointed out, there's this really explicit, like you start off junior and you get senior, right? Like Mm -hmm. between stages, like going from student to graduate student to postdoc to faculty, but then even within those like broad categories, you go from a first year to being a fifth year or, or like I was, I remember being slightly offended when I first got a faculty job and then I was an assistant professor. Right. And then there's all this talk about like training and mentoring. And I'm like, you know, I'm what in my late thirties and I've been doing this for 15 years. And why am I a junior person who needs mentoring? Um, very quickly, by the way, that turned into, oh, I actually have no idea what I'm doing because you don't get trained to be a professor. You get trained to do other stuff and then Mm -hmm. you really are starting over. So that was another, that was another area of feeling like I didn't know. But anyway, the point is even in our career where we have these really explicit sort of stages of advancement that is like the whole system is telling you, you don't have to know everything yet. We all, many of us feel like we should know more than we do. And, and that academia is like, is so hierarchical, mm-hmm. right? Um, that, that, you know, we're just kind of, I think that the tendency is to look to the next step and see what, you know, those people who are a little farther along and therefore more successful are doing. And how can I, how can I be more like that? Um, and it's, you know, very hard to like find the point in your career where you just settle in and are like, yep, I'm just doing me. You do you. Right. Um, which, I'm, which I'm think, not you know, there yet, by the way, just, yeah. just so you know. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I feel like I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I, when I was thinking about like talking about this and, you know, the experiences where I have, where I have feel, felt just like 
crushed and overwhelmed by the idea that I'm not good enough and I'm a fraud and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and I was thinking about the realms in my life where it still like rears its ugly head. Um, and, and, and there are still like some realms where things, things come up. And I guess like most recently I've noticed it, um, since I made this switch from SPSS to, to R for data analysis. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, like perfectly capable in R, but you know, when I'm like talking to people who use it heavily and, you know, mm-hmm. can do it without internet access and things, I really am like, Oh, I hope nobody asks me which is a left join and which is an inner join. Cause uh-huh. I have to Google that every single time. Um, you know, th- like there are times now when I certainly feel like, Ooh, I know that I'm the least educated person in the discussion about this. Um, it doesn't make me feel like I'm a fraud mm-hmm. now. It makes me feel like that's the thing I haven't learned as well yet. Mm-hmm. But but it, but if I wanted to, I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I'm saying this, not. I, I'm saying this because I I I, I wanted like I, I want, dear listeners, because I want you to 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 know that like, I feel like there are situations where these feelings can can diminish right mm-hmm. like like i i wish i could have told myself 15 years ago in 15 years you are gonna not feel like you're faking it you're gonna feel like you actually are worthy of being there mm-hmm. so stick it out and hang in there and you know mm-hmm. also survivorship bias and all of that right um but but i i actually like um am i'm reassured by the fact that even though this is a thing that all of us have, like it isn't a thing that haunts me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like it isn't, it isn't something that like interferes with my ability to, to work. And I, and I realize that is coming from like a tremendous place of privilege and that I've got a great job and supportive institution and, and all of that. Um, but, but, but I, I did want to just point out that like, I, I, this isn't a, this isn't a thing that everyone is, lives with their whole lives. Right. Right. Well, and I, I imagine um, that for people who really struggle with this, like really severely, that you don't have to just accept that as sort of the way life is, that there might be ways to sort of um, be intentional about working on it sooner rather than later, right? So on the one hand, many things will get better with time, but if it's really being, you know, paralyzing, I would, you know, talk talk to, find a mentor you can trust or um, a counselor or a therapist who have some experience with this because it really isn't something you have to, to live with your whole life or even for the next 15 years. Right. If it's, if it's really bothering you, but it is something that is like totally normal and everyone experiences. Yes. Also. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's not a syndrome. It's not a syndrome. So, so, uh, okay. So then, then, then the, the next question is, we have, we've talked about like how we've experienced it. We've talked about like, how do we deal and, and, you know, what can help us. Um, but, but to go back to this idea that like one of the causes for imposter syndrome is not that there is something wrong with the individual, but there that there are like cultural things about institutions that, you know, lead people to have these feelings of inadequacy. Um, and so what can we and our listeners be doing, um, to help others avoid this, you know, to make the organizations that we are a part of and the groups in which we move um less likely to make others 
feel like imposters. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things that um, that helps me the most, and so it's the thing that I try to do a lot for others, um, is is ample praise. Right when when the students that I work with do good things, I tell them they're doing good things, and I value their contributions, and you know, like point out how far they have come and how much they have learned and what what great work they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also when things go well for them, encouraging them to attribute those successes to their abilities rather than, you know, luck or chance. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of helping them do that that framing of. Yes, this went well in part because I worked hard and, you know, ha- have qualities that made it work well. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and I and I probably just as part of that, um, focusing on specific qualities instead of like, you did a good job, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I really admire the skill that, that you wrote that essay with or whatever, you know, something specific yep. that's actually a, a thing you can hang your hat on instead of sort of generic encouragement. Yep. You did good, kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think another thing is like d- doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Like talk talking about imposter syndrome, telling people it's super normal to have feelings about you know feelings of doubt about your mm-hmm. own ability, especially when you're in a new situation that you haven't been trained for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember like when I learned that imposter syndrome, like when I learned there was a name for it. It was so like enlightening, mm-hmm. right? Like it, even though it's called a syndrome, it made me feel like I didn't have some weird disease, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, normalizing. <laughs> like every night you lose consciousness for right? <laughs> six to eight hours. It's this weird thing. And you realize Wait, that everyone happens to does you it. too? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, like uh, talking about it and making it clear that, you know, this is not just something that's going on in your head. It's something that's on all our minds. There's there's a great comic. Um, the comic is called A Zillion Dollars. We will post it in the show notes. Um, but it's just a, a bunch of people walking around, and they all have the same, like, speech bubble, like, mental thought coming out of their head saying, everybody else seems to have it together, but I still have no idea what's going on. Uh-huh. Um, and I just, I just love it because it's like, you know, this kind of pluralistic ignorance. We all think that other people are thinking something different than they are. Mm-hmm. When in fact, we're all sitting there being like, am I doing a good enough job? Are they going to love me? Right. Yep. One thing, um, so two things uh, that you said that I want to pick up on. Uh, so one is also, um, I think, you know, as as we're at every stage, right, as we're learning new things and feeling unqualified, um, just being willing to share that, which again, that that can be a privilege to feel comfortable enough to to share that. But, but mm-hmm. if we do, I think that's really helpful. So I'm also recently uh, learning R after many years of wanting to and not doing it. And so most people that I work with who use it are better at it than I am. Uh, and I've been try- so it's very frustrating, but I've been trying to be open about that and sort of tell people I don't know what I'm doing yet. Um, but, but learning. So that's good. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm moving mm-hmm. from the feeling like I don't know what I'm doing, but I should Right <laughs> to like right. this, I'm a I'm a professor who analyzes data and talks about how to do it. I should be able to sit down and and do it right. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm working on it, um, and now I'm moving towards feeling a little bit less bad at it. Yeah, and, and like and and that 
I mean, I think that modeling is also really great, you mm-hmm. know, to show like it's okay to not know things. And when we don't know things, what we do is say, boy, I'm eager to learn that. How do right. I do it? And now I'm, I'm admitting that to you, Julia, but no one else, right? No one else is listening. <laughs> It'll right? be our little secret. Just our, oh, shh. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I, I did for a while, which I think I mentioned, maybe I didn't, um, I had a wall of rejection. And mm. this is a little bit different, but um, what I did, I, I, I sent away, I spent like $15 on a big red stamp that said reject. Uh, and anytime I got a rejection for an application, like a grant or, um, I don't know, mostly grants, manuscripts, you know, all the, all the rejections we get, I would put a big red stamp on it that said reject, and I would tape it on the wall. And um, now I thought this was really entertaining. So actually, it was fun for me because I would get the rejection letter. I'm like, woohoo, I get to add something to my wall. But the <laughs> point of it was to just um, lead by example that, mm-hmm. so we've been talking about like pay attention to all the positive feedback and um work on attributing that to some of your own skills, but equally, you know, all these rejections are very normal in life and in our career mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a big, well, it, it can be a big deal for other reasons, but like it, you shouldn't feel like a failure if you get rejected because that happens to all of us too. Mm-hmm. And so trying to put them on the wall um, to just model that, that it's okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. sorry. No, mm-hmm. go ahead. Um, you know, I made the point earlier about like updating unrealistic ideas about what success is. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think it is also helpful to say, like, look at all the ways I've screwed up or the things that have gone wrong for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like I am not attributing those to m- me being bad at my job or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm not I'm not worried that if people know I've had rejections, they're going to think I'm, I'm, you know, have somehow like s- snuck in and I'm a failure, in fact. Right. Um, but yeah, just modeling the like, there's uh, bad things happen to all, not only do we, does nobody know everything, but we all strike out sometimes. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you strike out, that doesn't necessarily mean you are a failure or a fraud. Mm-hmm. It just means, you know, a thing that happened to people happened to you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's normal. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think either of us would advocate for a world where everyone goes around confidently thinking they can do everything even when they can't do it (laughs) um or or like having unrealistic expectations about what they're good at and and not good at um but but the, the the culture that i would find the most appealing is one in which people are comfortable admitting when they don't know things and being eager and having the opportunities to 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 learn those things um and where the members of the institutions are supportive and encouraging of supporting and encouraging enough of people that they don't have to just rely on did i get this paper published to to like uh, uh have feelings of of belonging and success mm-hmm. um and, and 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 again like i think that's especially likely to be the case for more junior people, for people of color, and and for women, um, because they are the ones who, for whom, I mean, at, at least especially in academia, um, uh, have had the fewest role models of people like them doing it successfully, um, and are m- the most likely to feel kind of uh, uh, distinct from the culture that they're entering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not knowing stuff is okay. 
Right. Still be a good, smart, capable Normal. person and not yeah. know stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, right. So we want to promote a culture where it's okay to say you don't know something, mm-hmm. uh, even if you're, well, anyway, in lots of situations, right? So we can kind of model that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that in some ways that does get easier as you get older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been easier for me because, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just trust that it's okay <laughs> after a while. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think it's important to, to model that, but it's also important to encourage that in, in other people, right. In our peers and other people we work with that mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is if you can be honest about what you don't know, you can then figure out how important it is to know it. Like there are some things I don't know that I'm probably never going to be a big expert on. Like I, okay, well, don't tell anyone. I always forget exactly all of the kinds of ions that combine to like ligand gated ion channels. And I'm talking about uh, neural transmission. I did learn it um, and I forgot it and I learned it. I forgot it. And so I, I don't always know. And so I have students ask me these very detailed questions about ion channels and I don't know. Uh, but anyway, but I think it's probably for my current job, that's not critical. So I feel a little bad, but I, but it's not important. But mm-hmm. if there's a statistical thing that I'm using in my analysis that I really don't understand, I might decide that's actually important. But if I don't admit that I don't quite understand it, right? I'm like, I pushed the button and I got a number. I'm going to publish a paper. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I can go to my, well, whoever, students, colleagues, who, statistical gurus and say, you know what? I have no idea what this is doing or mm-hmm. did I do it right? Please help me. Um, that seems more important, right? So just being able to be open about it and then we can have a discussion about is it important or not is, is also useful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So so uh, our, our, our concluding thoughts are uh, imposter syndrome. Y- you are not an imposter and it is not a syndrome. Um, maybe instead we could call it a your culture doesn't provide enough support for you, but you're actually great. Or uh, a, a, a structural praise inadequacy. Um, I, I think for a show title, we'll stick with "You're not an imposter, and it's not a syndrome." But we would love to hear from you if you have some ideas about what we could call this that uh, 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 kind of encompasses the the concerns about um, calling it calling it a syndrome. Because we do love getting your emails. We do, and actually, I mean, this is a topic. As with all of our topics, really, I would love to come back to uh, later on. And so if you have stories you want to share, um, of course, it's fine to be anonymous. We have a contact button on our website. You can make up a name and we won't know any difference. So uh, I'd love to hear from from a bunch of you who have various experiences with this. That would be that'd be really interesting. Uh, we love getting your email. Please keep them coming. Uh, we have a couple of shows coming up based on your requests, and we're always happy to do that. And then I also wanted to remind you all that we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash juice and squeeze. And one of the things that we do over there is we give some bonus audio. And right now what we have, our last episode was on writing and the process of writing and how we get started, how we don't get started overcoming those challenges. And uh, we've got some bonus content where we I don't know. How would you describe it, Julia? We geek out over our tools. We talk about (laughs) online writing, collaborative writing, Google Docs, kind of, you know, workflow stuff. What do we use to manage citations? 
things like that. So if you're interested, head on over there and you can find it there. And other than that, I think we're done today and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.